Hey there, this is Jamin Warren, and this is the Kill Screen Podcast. Yasmin Elyat is an Emmy award-winning immersive director whose work pushes the boundaries of immersive narrative and participatory experiences. She is co-founder at Scatter, an immersive entertainment and software company where she heads content, production, and marketing initiatives. Scatter is recognized for pioneering the emerging language of volumetric filmmaking through its original volumetric film productions and its AR VR creativity tools. Scatter's first product, DepthKit, is the most widely used toolkit for accessible volumetric capture. I had a great conversation with Elia, and I hope that you enjoy it. I grew up in uh, Silicon Valley. I didn't realize it at the time, but as a kid who grows up in the Valley and my dad had a startup, I grew up with computers. I was one of those privileged uh, young children <laughs> who had my own laptop. And I think I remember like teaching myself to program at a young age. I think I was like 10 or 11 when I started programming, but I was starting to program to basically build websites to show off my like drawings and my poetry. So <laughs> you know, I wasn't trying to be like an engineer. I actually saw it as like a way, a means to an end. And I think it kind of started there. Even though I studied computer science and I worked as a software engineer, and I gravitated towards our school, which I went to ITP at the NYU program. And I think there's definitely where I felt like, okay, there's a way to merge the right side and left side of the brain here. And I just, I don't know, there's something with tech native about me. Maybe it's, I just feel comfortable, hmm. whether it's my background or where, where I started. There's something about technology or knowing the possibilities of technology. I find it like liberating that like something doesn't exist creatively. You can always build it. And I think it's exciting to me, but, um, you know, to be an engineer is to solve technical problems. I was always excited about stories that I wanted to like pursue but obviously because of my brain or how like the creative process in my brain works, it was always not traditional storytelling or non-traditional ways of doing it. I kind of like telling stories in different ways or in new ways that haven't been told before. It's always been there, but I think it became more solidified after grad school and art mm. school and being in New York. New York is like a, a place where I think people like the hybrids like me could find a place because, you know, it's you can be an artist and a technologist in New York, but not so much in Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny, people have described like the difference between LA and San Francisco. San Francisco was traditionally, that was the town of a lot of different interests. And LA was like the one industry town just with having film. And it does feel like the rise of technology in Silicon Valley has in some ways made it harder for people who are pure creatives or um, even creatives like working in technology, trying to find a home there. And it's flipped where LA seems like it's taking folks from San Francisco who probably would have stayed there in a previous generation. Yeah. I think there's like, it's like a space for this kind of hybrid, which is exciting. I mean, excited. And also, by the way, they, at the time when I started, there weren't undergraduate programs for that were hybrids like this that were combining art and technology. Mm. Now there's a bunch of undergrad programs. <laughs> so it's obviously finally caught on that, like, you know, this is definitely a real career path. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned art and poetry as being something that you were interested in. Do you remember, like, the first time you translated something like that with a digital tool? I used to animate back in the flash days that I used to do a lot of animations. <laughs> These little shorts uh, after my uh, software engineering job, I worked at a mentor graphics, which is like a big multinational, if you've heard of it, based out of, I think, Oregon. And then I go home and I'd like spend hours animating. And I, I, I guess like for, for me, that's maybe when I, I think connected the dots that like, oh, there's a passion here that I have that is taking up all my free time. I was actually based in Egypt. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was based in Egypt during this time and living there. And Daniel Rosen, this artist here in New York, he's a professor at ITP, and he had posted this. Like, I found one of his early pieces, The Wooden Mirror, which is mm -hmm. like this a way to translate using wooden blocks, the gradients of 
pixels and you reflect anybody's like image into the wooden and it would rotate to match the pixels. And I saw that and I was like, this is, you know, this is my, my, my people. This is my, uh, my tribe. I saw myself in that work and I was like, I want to go wherever this professor, wherever Daniel Rosen is teaching. And that's how I came to ITP. I wasn't savvy enough to understand sort of what was driving me. It was just always something that was driving me. And I think my whole career path is a bunch of these random dots that maybe didn't make sense, but finally converged after grad school. Yeah, I, that sounds like a, a common like a common thread from like, talking to other creators. Like the, the place that you're at right now is not the place that you would have envisioned in part because sometimes because it didn't exist, <laughs> but in many instances because it is a hybrid. It's a hybridized version of all these different things that you did uh, over the life of your career. So you went from uh, being a software development engineer at Mentor Graphics and then to creative technology for potion design. Yeah, what was like your role there? Because also it's interesting that term creative technologist also was a pretty new term at that time as well. So I'm sure that created some very interesting conversations with others when you had to explain what it is that you do. Potion was such an you know pivotal moment for me because I think uh, I was at ITP and I met obviously Jared who's uh, Schiffman who's the one of the co-founders and my role was officially creative technologist where you know we were tiny at the time and I think there were seven people or eight. like it was a pretty small team and at the time I remember being very particular about my titles because I was like this engineer that's trying to shed my skin especially at ITP all my projects I specifically didn't want to work with people that didn't want to program that didn't have a program because I'm not going to program your project I chose more storytelling projects even my thesis was a stop motion animation no no program it was all handmade stop motion animation and tracking three generations of women in my family it's like a documentary because it's so small even though my role is to creative technologist I would do everything from client management stuff like I was helping with pitches I did a lot of experience design work and I, I think any small company any startup you have to play different roles so even though like my day job is programming and I was the person that had to go install and debug and and do all of that um, I learned at pushing a lot of other skills you know running a small business producing I think I became much more well-rounded and set me up for you know, my first project after that, because I kind of learned how to do a lot of things from what is like a design process, which I hadn't had before, because, you know, obviously coming from an engineering background. And the role of creative technologist, it's funny, I, I'm not even sure if I know what it means exactly, because I am a trained engineer, and there's a lot of creative technologists that don't really code very well, you know, that, that's really funny. It's in New York, it's like this umbrella for maybe someone who is technically savvy, but it's a confusing term because I don't think all creative technologists are the same. And uh, I think it means different things in different companies. And I was trying to move away from the engineer in me. And so for me, I, I appreciate it as like a step in the process. You hear about that. Sometimes people step into these roles, like a creative director role, but they may not have done the thing in which they're creative directing other people. Sometimes you see that in fashion, for example, where somebody's serving as a creative director, but they haven't gone to get their MFA or they haven't actually sat down and cut patterns or something like that. So it's like having an overall vision. So I suspect that, you know, it's probably something similar that's happening where you have people who are literate enough to be dangerous as a, as an engineer, but recognize that like their ability to guide projects or move them in a particular direction ultimately is more important than being the person who like sits down and <laughs> like deploys the yeah. damn thing <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I definitely would I definitely credit potion for t like kind of like when I keep saying client management it sounds very boring but it's actually been a, such a life skill in collaborations when educating people that don't know technology very well or in, Every, in everybody has a client that's the like the yeah. at the end <laughs> of the day you think you're free and like everybody everybody has to <laughs> explain what they're doing to somebody else at some point <laughs> 
Exactly. And also user, user experience. That's another one of those terms, I think, at the beginning where everyone is a user experience designer, especially when I was like, I was still the early days, at least training, but it really taught me to think about spatial storytelling because where we were doing museum installations, corporate lobbies, I was the lead engineer on like the LA Museum of the Holocaust and I lived, I was based in that museum for a long time and then during the installation and, you know, New York Public Library, HP, like I, I did a bunch of these big, you know, projects and yeah, I learned a lot about also just like spatial storytelling and what does that even mean? You know, this is like pre-VR days, but there's something about thinking through a space and how you guide people through a space, even if it's just, it's physical and architectural. Um, it's where, where the, the seeds of that started, spatial storytelling. Was there something that you remember distinctly about the, using the LA Holocaust Museum as an example, something about the layout of the space or like constructing the experience for someone who's going to, you know, be at the museum that really stands out for you as a creative turning point or something that informed your work later on? Uh, with that museum, there was something very cutting edge about it. It's my experience, which funny enough, compared to working for like companies or corporate lobbies, I found the like museum space and cultural space actually the most experimental when I was working at a, a design studio because I think there's maybe the element of being relevant or maybe the, to, to audiences or engaging several generations or I'm not sure exactly but that was my experience like I found a lot of experimentation and I found the Museum of the Holocaust in LA specifically because it was like a new building it was new beautiful architecture it was also innovative they wanted to do everything connected so we want awards for it like we built an entire audio guide that's like never been done before like an audio guide that could talk to every interactive piece everything in the museum and a lot of the pieces were interactive that we built and they were very artistic part of it was like how do you work with such heavy subject matter especially a lot of very sad stories very hard very violent things to, to hear about and learn about and to translate it to as the material and being you know sensitive to the material but also translating it to audiences in a way that's very respectful but also trying to tread this balance of also doing it in a in a beautiful and poetic and mature way sophisticated way in respecting the material and I would say as a design process it was like a big learning experience and also as I said, it was like a huge technical feat and I was the lead engineer because we did, a, as I said, everything's talking to everything. And I think I just learned how to manage maybe, like it felt like the lead of a team. And I think it set me up from then on. I understood that I could play these dual roles and I felt quite natural and fluid where I know it's technically possible. I know how to speak to the engineers because I, I can speak that language, I'm native. The whole museum was around, there is actually a narrative spatially I think it's like one of the most beautiful marriages of like literally like designing from the ground up with the architect. We were working with the, you know, with the architect team and the, and the museum team from the beginning. Everything was quite seamless. Everything worked together from what we were designing to how they're laying it out. So it's, it was quite like specifically talking about form and content. It was one of those times where everything was just so thoughtful and I'm, I'm, I'm being very broad in general, but I, I learned a lot from that project for sure. It was a very challenging project. We won a few awards for several of the pieces there. As I said, it was like, very challenging, but we put a lot of thought into it and, and work to make it. Yeah, I, I want to move on, I guess, to talk a little bit about your work in, in VR and I think specifically around Scatter. Tell me a little bit about like how you made your way into virtual reality. You mentioned that there are obviously some elements of experience design that you'd already touched base on, certainly at Potion and also at Second Story. And tell me a little bit about your encounters with VR and then how that kind of opened the door to some of the work that you're doing with Scatter. Yeah, this is the fun stuff. There's two kind of important beats to mention that led me to Scatter and a startup and the XR space. One is that um, after pushing, it was the first time I like quit my job and started my own 
project, my own film, yeah. interactive film project, yeah. supported by like the Tribeca New Media Fund and yes. the Sundance New Frontier, and the inaugural class of both of these funds yeah. and labs. And this project, why it's important, was like it's the first time that I actually took the step of like working independently like, at the time when we didn't have a space where these projects didn't fit anywhere. How do you use, tell stories using emerging technology? And specifically, yeah. I always think the world is fascinating as it is. So that project in 18 Days in Egypt and that work and my entry point into the new media world and Sundance and all that kind of was one big important beat. And the second important beat was I also started a company, my first startup in this time, in these few years, because in doing the project 18 Days in Egypt, which is like a crowdsourced collaborative documentary about the Egyptian revolution, where anyone who's there on the ground can tell their story. And it was like an ongoing story and, and a way to capture the moment and keep this kind of grassroots storytelling, having the people on their own history or country own their own history. That was the project. And in the making of the project, we realized we need to build a platform. And that platform that we built from the ground up over a year or so became a company, became a startup. Uh, my first company was also a company about storytelling. Uh, <laughs> I think those, those two things were very, I think, pivotal because obviously there's other things in between. I worked as a, you know, an artist in for a long time and, and then I came back to New York, but essentially in that world is how I met James. We're both, in, you know, these computer scientists, artists, with strange films that, uh, that, you know, don't fit in a box, but they were both like, you know, these documentaries that were, you know, relevant to us and the communities we're a part of. And that's how we found out about each other. And then I think XR was just talking about like virtual reality. Like before I actually joined forces with James Alexander, like I've always embraced whatever was emerging technology, whether it was like wearable tech or whether it's the web, you know, by the way, like I went to ITP when iPhones were new technology <laughs> so the iphone i guess for me i'm like of course it's inevitable whatever is the next emerging technology but what's really cool for me about xr was like it's the first time that i saw a potential ecosystem and so i saw an opportunity here with 18 days had to be art funding and grants and it's a project that can't make money it was completely a web-based documentary and XR started, I started seeing, oh, there could be opportunities here. And like, as I said, all these things coming together, just it made sense when I finally did start working with James and Alexander, how the company started. It actually isn't as straightforward. Like there's actually a little more nuance there, but like all of these things are in the air. So I think there's definitely something about seeing a future as you know, entrepreneur half of me and seeing what they're doing with DevKit at the time was RGB toolkits. They're moving into productizing it into DevKit and starting a company. And that's when I was also a free agent and looking for my next thing. <laughs> <laughs> why I'm bringing up that those two projects is why I met James and then obviously Alexander. And it's also why building a company, but also serving art projects and that kind of hybrid wasn't a big stretch for me. It was literally what I just left Egypt doing. You've mentioned several times, like through the course of your career, how the content that you've been working on informed the tools and technologies that you either had to create or implemented. What does that look like for Scatter now? Because you're in touch with both sides of it. You're in touch with creators and you want to create something that's going to be very useful for them. But since you're the ones driving the technology, ultimately what's possible and you have to prioritize things in your product roadmap that makes sense for the company as well. And so can you tell me a little bit about that balance between those two elements of Scatter? Yeah, it's a really great question because you're getting at the heart of it. You know, we're an artist-led company and when we're talking about our projects and the story, so like any of our productions, we definitely lead with creative. This is literally how we operate. We literally believe that uh, art drives innovation. That's how all of us as the founders that's what drives us. And we actually all come from that kind of ethos before we met each other. And so the fact that starting a company, that's like how it's led. It's like art drives innovation. Even the existence of DevKit started because it's a survey creative 
project. It was started as an exploration between James Alexander back in 2011, actually. And the, the building of the tool really happened during the creation of Class, the documentary. This idea of like with the beginning and the seeds of volumetric filmmaking started in pursuit of creating this documentary about the creative coding community. And it's still true today of Scatter. So when we're working on our productions and like, for example, Zero Days or Blackout was a way to R&D multicam. Zero Days was building uh, a new look and a kind of like a new aesthetic look that we then packaged for the customers. Uh, we have an upcoming project called Changing Same where we're in innovating new workflows there. Our productions, I would say, are like what's next for Scatter. However, there's a business and a startup and you're asking, which is like, how do you kind of balance the two and, and the need of obviously a product and a product lifecycle and, and customers is very different. But where I would put like place scatter in all of this is like, there's something about what we're doing, which I, I consider bigger than just the tool, which is this, this idea of volumetric filmmaking, which is a, a term we've coined, which is like, it's bigger than just a tool. It's a new way of being, it's a new way of telling stories. It's a new way of a creative process that's beyond just volumetric capture. It's a whole workflow. It's a whole way of creating. And it's also not just for art, it's like also for filmmakers and other types of formats and publishing formats. And so I think one thing here is that's the main mission. It's like how to define volumetric filmmaking and then seeing that anyone who is interested in this space is our, our collaborators. So we don't see our, we don't use the word customers. We don't see customers as customers. We actually see the community. We call it like our community because it's the volumetric filmmaking community that is helping build something that doesn't exist. We're defining it and everyone here is a veneer and everyone is building it and defining it. And part of that's like what we lead with and service of refining what volumetric filmmaking can be. Then we work backwards and that's kind of what brings it home. Our productions are, you can consider them like the R and D arm of what's next. And then because we're dog fooding, essentially, we're literally building what we know we need and what the future is and defining what the future is through the productions. And our tool then makes sense because we know we need this and we're collaborating with the community. And I would say the way we're building tools is not like a regular tech company. We're definitely not like a regular tech company because it's tools we as artists want and need. And our productions are definitely driven by creative. And so I think it's it's actually quite poetic. I mean, it's the dream, right, to build a company as an artist <laughs> where you can do both run a business, but also make projects you really believe in. And um, it's not easy and simple. Obviously, there's a lot of complication and nuance, but it, it's how we operate. Yeah, it's a distinct challenge that I hear from, from all the creators that we've spoken to so far. You know, they fit into different categories. You're either making do with out-of-the-box tools and then trying to find unique ways to do something interesting with those tools. We spoke to Theo Trianta Fidalis, and he's done that with Unity, for example. And like his big thing is like going through Unity's existing asset library to create either procedural or experimental artwork, or you're trying to create new tools on your own, which sounds like that's the path that you've gone on. I think for artists working with technology, it's just very difficult. And so sometimes I'm sure one of the challenges you all have is like starting a company versus starting a project. Do we need to make this as a one-time thing or do we actually need to like build something that can sustain over the long term? Because there's not necessarily like a right answer to that per se. <laughs> you just triggered something in, when you were talking, which is artist sustainability and, and tools and things like that. I think like I, as a technologist, an artist, and also as someone who was a minority as an engineer, like I think I was one of two women in my class or three women and always being the only single, you know, female engineer. I think there's something that I feel as a responsibility. I actually feel like we're intervening. What we're doing is intervention at Scatter because it's about diversity of storytellers. It's about accessibility. It's about 
making sure on both ends, the stories that are being told are diverse and representative, but also that the creators themselves are too, and the community is. If you've ever been to any of our events, I hope you, would, you can see it is reflected. And also in the kinds of projects that are being published, it's true, it really is true. And I think it's important to say that because there is this responsibility, which is like, we're doing this because it's like a way to intervene in the future of technology and the future of what this space in volumetric filmmaking would be. And I believe there's an element of that. Whether or not it's explicitly said, I think there's definitely something that's driving us as a team that, that comes from that place. You know, so much of what defines whether or not someone steps into you, like a particular practice is the community around it because you don't do these things in vacuum. And so often if you are one of one in that community, it can just be really, you either become a pioneer and your work is respected okay. 30, 40, 50 years <laughs> in the future, or, or you switch to something else and starting from the ground floor and thinking, okay, how do we build on both ends, you know, both the community that will really make good use of the tools, but also tools that will do a good job in terms of what you can actually create with them. Can you tell me a little bit about what you find to be like the ideal use case for or scatter like as a tool? Like what types of creators are, are attracted to it and what do you find them using it for? So as I said, like we, we call it volumetric filmmaking and for us, it's a way to capture the real world, but it's also a way to translate it and play with an aesthetic spectrum. And I think that's something very important about Scatter. And for us, it's not about holograms, it's about creative expression. And so that's why we always, you know, support different VFX workflows or export formats to work with VFX tools that exist. Or within Unity, we work with VFX graph and the shader graph. So you can get like photo reel to all these crazy particles and beautiful effects aesthetics. And I would say the people that would be attracted to volumetric filmmaking, like how we're building the workflow now, we're in a pilot program for Def Studio, which is our portable multi-camera solution. We're in the pilot program right now with that and it's coming out soon. Uh, but one thing we're always doing is we're trying to meet people where they are. So if the best filmmakers and the best storytellers and the best people who work in music videos, et cetera, and now the XR space, we, we work with workflows that are already known. So we're, everything about how you use DevKit is very familiar to a filmmaker. When we have filmmakers come, they're like, oh, I, know, I understand how to do this because it's a very similar production and post-production workflow in film or in, as I said, in 2D video and things like that. So. A lot of filmmakers, whether it's documentary, like I know Alex Gibney in Zero Days, he wanted to use DevKit as a VFX tool to anonymize that informant in the way that felt native to language of code or Eminem used in rap code and music video. Also in, in the XR space, it is an accessible solution. So you can get started with just a machine and a sensor that's a few hundred dollars versus a lot of our indirect and direct competitors, it's more complicated. There's like lots of hardware, it's much more expensive and they're not portable or mobile. You have to go to these stages. And so this idea of accessibility, mobility, portability, I think is attractive to a lot of independent creators, of course. And we have a lot of independent creators in the XR space that have used Def. I think DevKit has the most published volumetric films in the space compared to anyone. I think it's really true to what we believe in around like diversity and, and, and things like that. But one of my favorite projects is in Brownsville in Brooklyn and it's like, a neighborhood that's a pretty bad rep, but these like young black kids, they rebuilt their neighborhood. They made a video game out of it. They shot hundreds of people in their community using DevKit to collect their stories. And it was like, we want to own the narrative of Brownsville. Like Brownsville is a community. Brownsville is people that care about each other and look at all these beautiful stories and the human side of it versus what you in the news about Brownsville. And like, that's beautiful. And DevKit's used in the Middle East and in Africa, which it's hard to get access to the hardware and the tools. But the fact that there's filmmakers there using it and making 
publishing projects and publishing VR thing or XR space. That's like what we're trying to make sure can happen and exist in the world. But it's also to answer your question, like who can use it? It's meant to be, as I said, accessible and something that any creator can see themselves using. And we're trying to make it easier and easier through the years. It's still hard and expensive to make XR work. It should speak to people beyond the XR space. It's like any storyteller, I think, could see themselves using depth kit and working in the volumetric filmmaking space because we really do believe as a future like this, there's going to be this collision where already it's happening with virtual production this collision between these game engine tools like you know unity and unreal like the like, flexibility that they provide but then there's always the craft and sensibility of filmmaking that is never you can never lose it it's like the key it's what we lead with it's why we call, say volumetric filmmaking versus polygrams or volumetric capture because we really do believe in that as a creative practice and hopefully the people who that resonates with are using our tool and making stuff with with DevKit. You know, we're in an interesting spot this moment right now, particularly as it relates to like virtual reality technology. And, and you know, DevKit is a is a tool that you don't have to use it for XR. It can be used for, for 2D, but it's definitely an appealing use case for it. The distribution tools, that's the one piece. You don't have control over that. Not everyone has a VR headset, right? Like those are those sorts yeah. of things where there are limitations to like what you actively can control. Yeah, it is a big problem. It's a whole ecosystem. It's not just a distribution. It's also which projects get funding. Where can you get funding for this work? Is there enough profits on the end? The iOS apps, I feel like there was enough of an ecosystem that like it could drive. Regarding distribution, it's a great question because you know I lead the production, be their producer, and so this is the big. <laughs> This is personally a big pain for me. I remember when we were trying to distribute zero days and trying to understand the install base numbers and all of that. It's yeah, you're right. It's it is a big problem. And I think that's why from a tool side, we solve it differently. I have to be honest, like I sometimes feel like I'm playing two roles. Like on the content side, I have an answer, and then on the tool side, I have an answer. But on the tool side specifically, that's why we make sure that we support different publishing formats. The beauty of DevKit, like you can shoot with DevKit. And then you can use the same asset to make a film, like Zero Days, the feature film by Alex Guinea. And uh, that same informant that we shot back then is actually what the asset we use in Zero Days VR and built a whole virtual world around uh, the same shot shoot. So like it, it could work in both formats. I think that's why we support different types of export formats because we, we understand that like it's a problem. And also like the web is like what we're moving towards because it's the most accessible for now until headsets get cheaper or there's larger numbers buying them. But also there's like AR and that's a whole other space. So I would say that might be one of the ways to reach audiences, but each technology and each way you, why you push means something different and you're trying to say something different and not the same story will translate right to different distribution models. It's something we are cognizant of, and I think we're trying to make sure that we're supporting whole space versus just the XR space, if that makes sense. Let's support all kinds of creators. And then even if XR is still decent right now, then we can at least support all the other types of ways of creating. And then on the production side, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. All the projects we do are relating to some kind of moment right now that we're in. We're all drawn to documentary. And Right now, the project is focused on the racial justice movement, civil rights movement. It's a project that we've been working on. Actually, it's a co-production with RADA, and we've been, RADA Film Group, and we've been working on it for a few years now, so before this year, but we've been working on, it's called The Changing Same, and it's about the 400 years of American cities with racial injustice, and it's a magical, realist time travel experience. So it's like about how, like, it kind of just evolves, but doesn't really change. And so it's like magical real, it's Afrofuturist. And obviously it's very pertinent right now. And the reason I'm bringing it up from a production standpoint, now in this kind of climate, uh, the traditional way we would have approached distribution doesn't totally make sense anymore. The way film festivals are adapting, I would answer it differently there. I think there we actually have to rethink, maybe a little more creative, but 
because we're scattered, we are always like, oh, something doesn't exist. What is the thing that we need here? And I think we're at that moment where I don't have an answer yet. But we're definitely in that headspace of what is missing here that we can build and to enable a project like this to, to succeed and, and thrive in this world. You know, you mentioned the Zero Days example in terms of that was something that lived across like a film and then a VR interactive experience. I mean, do you find that creators come into it with the expectation that they're going to either take something that's a film and make it interactive or take something that's interactive and turn it into a film? Or is that something they figure out along the way as they're like in the process of building their storytelling vision? It's a really good question. I think most people actually come with one vision. It's like either they're working on a film and there's a few feature films and whether they're documentaries or someone is like specifically coming in to do this music video or someone is specifically working on a virtual reality. Sometimes people will play with VR and also an AR component or like a mixed reality goggles. I think it's only us actually who's been dipping our toes in both, <laughs> like with projects. I think most people don't real either they don't realize that they could work this way or uh, it's already very expensive and hard to do one or the other, especially a lot of like, projects they're using, like HBO, you know, HBO has been doing a lot of the marketing XR components or usually VR components to a lot of their Westworld, right? And Lovecraft right now country. And it could be something quite beautiful, actually. Like it's like a match made in heaven because they could do something that could serve like VFX in the shows and then translate it more easily into VR. So there could be something that like actually they exist in the same world in the same visual space and design metaphors. It's a world, they build worlds and there's something there, but no one has really come that I can say except us that has done that and even even in doing zero days vr the adaptation i directed it and jigsaw and i was going to be specifically played an executive producer role they were like you guys can go run with this and we'd love to see what you're going to make but it wasn't the same even uh director or creative vision i think it makes sense for you all to do it from a tools standpoint and you certainly see this with unreal engine and fortnite where they've gone from something that's very interactive to now they're doing stuff that's more, you know, just like live forms of media. It's like a set stage. So it makes sense, I guess, when you have a deep understanding of what is easy to do and what's hard to do from a tool standpoint that you're in the best position to go about like setting a template for other people. I think that's something that people often forget about Fortnite is that their core business yeah. is selling a game engine. And so they're, they're incentivized to create new uses for that for people because if they can do it that means that other people can can do it too yeah actually that's a very that's very astute of you i would definitely say that's like the closest analogy to like what we're where, where we're going or where we're <laughs> our trajectory one day yeah yeah <laughs> the type of art that you all make is different like they're they're definitely obviously shooting for like mainstream marvel-esque commercial art versus the work that you all do, which has a, a different approach to it. But for what it's worth, the founder of Epic Games is a game creator at heart. Like he is a creative. And I think it's an interesting juxtaposition between Unreal and Unity, which is like a pure technology company. And like Unity does not have a vested interest in like creating content experiences and they just want to make this tool. And oh, there's uh, pluses and minuses, obviously, you know, from a focus standpoint, I'm sure there are probably people at Unreal who are like, why don't we just focus on the game engine side? I don't know why. Yeah, yeah we got lucky with Fortnite and everything, but like, why don't we just focus on the thing that actually is like driving our valuation and right. rather than like, continuing to make games and let's, you know, outsource this to the community. So yeah. I think the the model of showing what you can do through creative practice makes makes an awful lot of sense, um, especially when you're in a, a pathfinding role because, you know, it's very hard. And I, I do think that is one of the, the tragedies around VR was you know, I wish that, you know, Google and Facebook and some of these larger companies had continued to invest in, in content to showcase like what the technology can do rather than just saying, oh yeah, creators will figure it out and they'll figure out a way to monetize it. And that will drive headset sales and rather than saying, oh, maybe we need to take that more active role in showing people what this tool can actually do. So I think it's the right approach, but 
it's also not my company. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, we all believe it's like our values. And as I said, like you could be a tech company or you can be like us, which is we're not a traditional tech company. We're not driven by the demands of just technology for technology's sake. And I think you build tools differently in that way and you, you make choices differently. And also because we're in this space and making work too, like these are our peers and they're not our customers. And we're, we have the same needs and struggles as our community. And so I think it just totally changes the how you build and what you're building it for. And it's also hard. And obviously that's why there's not a lot of companies that are like that. And it's probably why when you mentioned that's how like a lot of the Oculus and like, you know, other companies start that way with this kind of heavy investment and then realizing it, it's, it takes a while. So you see the returns. Right. So I think it's definitely not the simplest and way to work, but it's true to us. And I think we're one thing you'll, you'll see is like, we're very true to who our core and our ethos and our values. And I think that's something that I'm proud of about us as a team at Scatter. Thank you so much for listening to the Kill Screen Podcast. I'm your host, Jamin Warren. This podcast was produced with help from Alex Westfall and music from Lucene. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Instagram at killscreen.dot.com or on Twitter at killscreen. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.